Hey, let me, let me say one thing before we jump here. I was, I was uh, being prayed for, as I am prayed for by a prayer team every Sunday morning early. And uh, one, of the, uh, one of the ladies that really is a prophetic voice, um, as she was praying, she, she dropped this little phrase in my spirit. I just felt like it was from heaven. She said, there's been a pandemic of hopelessness, a pandemic of hopelessness. And I really think that's true. That's why people are freaking out about things they should not be freaking out about. Can we agree? There's a lot of extra freaking out. Like I'm down with freaking out. Almost step on a snake, freak out. Okay. Like there's a lot of stuff, but there's an extra freaking out going on in our culture. There's a pandemic of hopelessness. And um, we need to draw people to the light of Jesus Christ. He is the solution for whatever's wrong in our life. We need to draw him in. And so this, this Sunday service that we do every week is about inspiring people, introducing them to Jesus, you know, sending people out. But, but genuine life change, I continue to say, happens in groups, okay? Small groups where you get to know people and you can talk and you can grow together. And I keep hearing testimonies of people whose lives and families are different because of small groups. I'm saying all that to say it's time to, uh, to start small groups. And, and our church has been fantastic. And we have become a church of small groups. I mean, people go to groups like we have record numbers of people in groups last year. But here's where we're lacking and here's where you can help. We don't have enough group leaders because where you're supposed to have like 12 people in a small group, we have like 25 people in a small group. And it just can't be that intimate and personal. So some of you hearing my voice right now, God is challenging you to minister to your family and friends and neighbors by hosting a group. There'll be somebody to coach you, probably somebody to co-lead with you. It's really not like you're out on an island. But I want to tell you, the Christian life is not about coming to church, financing, and cheering on the ministers. That's what the, That's kind of the church model I grew up in. We go pay our tithes and we cheer for the minister, the good singing and the good preaching. But actually the word minister is a Hebrew word or a Greek word, New Testament Greek word, and it just means to serve. Everybody say to serve. And aren't we all called to serve? I want you all to just let that sink in that you have a ministry. There's a ministry inside of you. And, and, and so I want you to pray about that. Some of you have been thinking about it. It's been in your brain. This is your confirmation to lead a group. I think there's something in the worship guide or, um, or, or you can go to daystarchurch.tv slash, uh, lead a group. You pray about that. I think God wants to help you. How many know college football is coming up in Alabama? Woo, y'all like y'all some Jesus and football. I know it because I'm one of y'all, all right? And I was thinking about this title of impossible situations. I thought about a little uh, something in, from my childhood, a football game that seemed impossible. You, Some of you old timers in here will immediately know what I'm talking about. But there was a football game where it seemed like um, <clears throat> Stanford had run won the game and it was impossible for Cal to come back and win. All Stanford had to do was kick the ball and make one tackle and the game is over. They were so sure that the game was over that the band had come out onto the field uh, and it was chaos. In case you missed it, in case you, you know, never saw it, here's a quick reminder. Guys, roll that video. You'll see what I'm talking about. Harmon will probably try to squib it and he does. Ball comes loose and the Bears have to get out of bounds. Rodgers along the sideline, another one. They're still in deep trouble at midfield. They tried to do a couple of... The ball is still loose as they get it to Rodgers. They get it back now to the 30. They're down to the 20. Oh, the band is out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. He's going to go into the Bears. The Bears. 
have won! The Bears have won! Oh my God! The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, heart-rending, exciting, thrilling finish in the history of college football! Did, did you get that? Oh my God! I wrote it down. The most amazing, heart-rending, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish in the history of college football. I was hoping he said impossible. That's the one word he left out. He obviously thought that was impossible, right? But it really wasn't. It was just improbable. There are really impossible things, and that's what I want to talk about. Like a man walking on water. How many know that's impossible? A dead girl coming back to life. That's impossible. Sometimes things like cancer drying up with no medication and no hope from doctors. How many knows that's impossible? Depression disappearing. You know, financial struggles miraculously uh, turning around. Those are the things that, that God's word says we can believe for and we can expect. And it comes from this phrase that an angel actually first spoke in, in Luke chapter one, for nothing will be impossible with God. Do you believe that? Say amen if you agree. Amen. That nothing is impossible, that literally God could do anything. And over the next few weeks, I want to take you through all, all the, a collection of stories where we talk about impossible sickness and impossible financial crisis, impossible spiritual attacks, real like not things you see with your eyes or, 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 or even can smell or touch, but they're very real. We're going to talk about that. Even sin and death that feels impossible. And the good news is Jesus defeated every one of these in the first book of the New Testament. Today, I want to talk about storms. And the title is, Your Storm Isn't Impossible. The truth is, some of you are in a storm right now. It's amazing what God does in the, people, in the house of God. I don't know your details. I don't know what's going on in your life. And yet, somebody in this room, you need to hear exactly what I'm going to talk about today because the Holy Spirit's involved in all of this. He brought you here. He inspired this word. He's led me to say what I'm going to say today. And some of you are like up to here with waves. And it feels like the next bit of bad news will just overcome you. Maybe it's a financial thing. I want to tell you, I've been in financial storms in my own life, and they are scary I mean, because it's just math, right? Financial storms are just math. Like, this is what I need, and this is what I've got, and there's no way to add this stack up to get to this stack. And, and I've been in medical storms, you know, when, when you or someone you love is sick, and it just happens, it can go from zero to 100 in just a second, and you're like, what is going to happen that's going to change all this? And here's the good news. Wherever you are in this, these storms, I believe you've come to the right place because Jesus has already paid the price for your miracle through his blood on the cross at Calvary. I know it. I believe it. In fact, he's the one who said in Mark chapter 9, everything is possible for one who believes. That's why believing is the most important thing you can do today. You don't have to understand it. That's a bonus, you know. Having great theology, that's wonderful, and it'll certainly help you. But the most important thing for you to do is just believe. And today I want to take a look at an impossible situation where the disciples, Jesus' followers, they thought they were going to die on the open sea. And, and, and it's told in graphic detail in Matthew 14, Jesus has, just to set you up, Jesus has just uh, fed 5,000 people with um, 
five loaves and two fish, right? Remember that story? And it says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side of the sea while he sent the multitudes away. Did you get this? Jesus is the one who told them to get in the boat. They didn't do it on their own. He sent them where they were going. And in verse 23, when he had sent the multitudes away, Jesus went up on the mountain by himself to pray. So he's, he's not in the boat. He's not with the disciples. And when evening came, he was alone there. But the disciples and the boat, rather, was now in the middle of the sea, tossed. Everybody say tossed. So I looked up that word. That, that word tossed is a, is a Greek word. I, I can't pronounce it. I really tried about four or five times. It's got like 13 letters in it. But it literally means to be violently thrown away in fear, uh, thrown around in fear and pain. I, I thought about that a little bit. Like, what was that like for these experienced sailors to be violently thrown around? Like, I've been in a few crazy boat rides um, of my own making, I, I might add. <clears throat> Not any storms, right? Uh, but, but this was violent and, and fearful. Uh, they were tossed by the waves. The wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Now the fourth watch of the night is uh, it's the way they would break up the night in, in Jewish time. It was between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Now we know Jesus sent them away presumably at least at dusk maybe because people aren't out after night. There's no street lights. So he sent them to go. They have presumably been fighting this for nine to 12 hours. They are in a hurricane. These men are completely exhausted. And when the disciples saw Jesus walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, it's a ghost. Now see, that culture believed that a death angel would come to get you when you're going to die. They thought this is the death angel. This is the end of us. It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. Now, I want to talk to you about how you get victory in the storm. This story, I think, lays it out for you very well. If, you, if you're taking notes, I've given you notes. If you're joining us online, there are notes online for you to watch. Three things I want to tell you, and I'm going to give you like a little bonus thing too inside of the three things. Victory over the storm looks like this. You need God's presence. You need God to be there. Look what's going on. The ship is tossed all over the place. They're afraid. They're exhausted. They've been up all night. They are done. How many of you have ever been in a condition where you describe yourself like this? I'm done. Come on, raise your hand, you done skis. Like, I am done. You might be done with a person. You might be done with a job. You might be done with school. You might be done with a situation. I am just completely done. I'm at the end of my rope. I am frazzled. I'm about to lose my mind. I'm about to go off on somebody. Some of you didn't like about to, you just went ahead and did that, right? And when we're done, that's when a lot of people reach for the pill bottle or they reach for the liquor bottle or something else. What we actually need is to be in the presence of God. Now, it's interesting that these men are not in a storm because they did anything wrong. This is, to me, this is the key of the whole story. They were exactly where Jesus told them to go. They were in the boat. He told them to get in. They were on the sea that he told them to go on. They were trying to do what he told them to do, and they had been trying it all night long. There, there is nothing they've done wrong. It reminds me that in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, it rains on the just and the unjust. The people who have been unrighteous and foolish and made a mess out of their life, it's going to rain in their life. They're going to have some trouble. And guess what? The people who've done the best they know how to do, you're going to also have some rain in your life. 
Sometimes you're in a storm of your making. Sometimes you're in a storm because you're in a sinful and fallen world and stuff happens. In this case, these men didn't need to repent. They needed Jesus. Sometimes that's all you need. And Jesus didn't come to them immediately. And as I was looking at this story, I had my neat neat little three-point sermon together. And I thought, man, but why didn't Jesus come? He could. Actually, he finally did. Why does he keep them up all night? And it made me think of of my, my own life story, my walk with Jesus, and yours. How many of us have wondered, Jesus, you're all powerful. You can come. Where are you? Where, where, where are you? You know, and in my heart, I'm not, you know, uh, trying to uh, be a public speaker. I say, where are you, Jesus? In my heart, I'm like, where are you at? Have you ever been there? Come on, say it with me, y'all. Where are you at? You've been right. Where are you at, God? Where, what's up? Where? And I want to give you three reasons why Jesus doesn't answer when you want him to answer. This is straight, this is straight out of this story. Here they are. Maybe he's teaching us to trust him no matter what. He knows this is not the last time you're going to be in a storm. He knows that you've got a faith muscle. And if you don't use that faith muscle, it becomes weak and useless. And so he says, you know what? I'm going to take care of you, but I'm going to let you trust me. I'm going to let you learn how to pray more. I'm going to learn, let you learn how to uh, uh, build relationships with other godly people. I'm going to keep you from being that island. There are people in the room right now, people joining online, that you're a little bit of an island uh, uh, to yourself. Your faith is just you by yourself. And you know what? God will sometimes He'll let you go through stuff uh, to, to, to learn and grow that you need other people in your life. Sometimes that's why. Sometimes he's teaching us to fight, to flat out fight. He knows this won't be the last battle that you're in. And here's the problem. The, the, the American culture has a messed up theology. It's like a watered down theology of comfort that, that if you just give money and you go to church and you do the right things, you take your notes, you write down everything the preacher says to do, and you do all those things, by the way, that'll help you. But there's this theology that says, if you do that, everything's going to be great in your life. And, and, and you're going to just, you're going to get the promotion every time. You're going to get the prayers answered every time. Your kids are all going to be fine. You're going to find the, 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 the man of your dreams, the woman of your dreams. Like all that stuff is going to fall together. But the truth of the matter is God's not trying to make you comfortable. He's trying to make you a warrior. You need to receive that. This idea that what God wants is is a bunch of little robots who don't break any of the rules. They they dress the way they're supposed to dress. They vote the way they're supposed to dress, uh, vote, and they do all the right things. And then everybody just lives in plush comfort. Let me tell you, that's not God's mission. Now, I'm gonna say it one more time. God's not trying to make you comfortable. He's trying to make you a warrior. So sometimes He lets you hang in the fight because He's teaching you how to fight. Man, if you go to battle, you better have a brother or a sister who's got your back because you can't look at all places at one time. That's why you need people. That's why you don't need to be an island all to yourself. Sometimes he's teaching us to trust him. Sometimes he's teaching us to fight. And sometimes he doesn't answer your prayer how or when you want because he's protecting you from that prayer. Amen. <laughs> See, I've been following God long enough and been praying long enough to know that I can sometimes thank him for saying no to my prayers. Have you ever asked for something that in, in retrospect, you're like, man, I'm glad that didn't work out. You know, I, I, I had uh, one girl in my whole life, in my, in my distinguished career of dating, one girl broke my heart and I prayed that she would come back and God did not answer that prayer. And I was so thankful because then I found Leslie. And then that girl came back anyways, (laughs) 
And I was like, no, 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 you missed your chance. (laughs) No, sometimes what you're wanting is not at all what the good thing God has that's so much better for you. And so sometimes he doesn't answer. James explains it like this. James 4 and 2 says, you don't have because you don't ask God. Now, that's that's a great lesson. It's not really what I want to talk about, but let me just tell you, sometimes you don't have because we're, we're seeking it in our own ability. We're asking other people to do it. We're going everywhere but God, and we don't have a consistent prayer life, so we don't have because we don't ask. If you got it, say, I got it. Okay, that's bonus material, not in the sermon, all right? But when you do ask, sometimes you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives because you want to spend it uh, to get your own pleasures. So some, what God is saying sometimes is, it's just not right for you. You don't, you don't need it. It's not the right. And, and I simplified it like this. this is, I like to say it like this. When it's not God's will, God says what? No, it's just not my will. You want it, I, I, it's just not going to happen. You don't understand it, but it's not my will. But when it's not God's timing, God says, hey, it is God's will. It's just not the right time. Hey, you're on to something. We're going to get there. It's just not the right time. I know things you don't know. I know what's around the next corner. I know the dips in the road. So it, this is my will, but it's not right timing. So uh, if it's not his will, he says no. If it's not his timing, he says slow. But when it is God's will and it is his timing, God says what? Go. He says, you're on it. You're in it. This is the right timing. Let's do this. Now, I want all my prayers to be answered right there. Is anybody with me? Go. Do it. Here it is. Now, here's the sad thing about that. When God says go, it doesn't mean he's dropping cash baskets out of the sky. Sometimes God says go get a job. (laughs) You know, it's not like God's dropping Prince Charming in your lap, ladies. Sometimes God says go dump the goober you've been with. You know what I'm saying? Like, go means, like, go do something different. Go. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, it is the Lord who gives you the power to get wealth. Yeah, he gives you that ability. So he says, go get a job. Go, go save. I've been teaching the 10, 10, 80 plan ever since I learned it for myself. I was 20, around 20 years old, something like that. And I've been teaching people, if you'll give God the first 10%, you'll save the second 10% and live on 80%. God will bless you for years and years and years to come. It works every time it's tried. It's very biblical. Sometimes God is saying, go take what I've taught you and, and, and watch. And God will answer a lot of prayers that way. You know, and it doesn't matter if you're just praying for God to give you enough money to supersize your third, number three combo. Or you're praying for God to give you the house of your dreams. God can do all of that through your obedience. And I know what I'm talking about because when I started the 101080 plan, I did not have enough money to supersize my number three combo. I'm not making this up. I didn't even buy the combo. I went through McDonald's, got the Big Mac, went to the 7-Eleven for chips and a Coke because it was cheaper. Is anybody was as broke as me? Does anybody remember how to do that? I did it that way. All right. Now, I've been on a 10, 10, 80 plan since I was 20 years old. I can buy any number on the menu. I can even go to Arby's and Chick-fil-A where it costs more and supersize. And I can also go on a mission trip when God speaks to me to spend two or $3,000 to go somewhere and bless orphans in the other part of the world. I can also support kids. I can also, you know, give a, a ridiculous tip to a waitress that the Holy Spirit just says she needs something. I, I want to live in that place. And, and when God says yes, you know, sometimes there's something I can do. I want to get that out there because really this story, this story of the disciples is the opposite of that because sometimes there is nothing you can do. 
Sometimes you're just like those guys. They did all they did. They followed Jesus. They went to church with Jesus. He taught, he did the miraculous. And then Jesus said, go get in the boat. They obeyed Jesus. They got in the boat. Jesus said, take the boat to the other side of the sea. They start trying to take the boat. Now the boat's in a a, a cyclone, a hurricane. They're fighting for all they have, nine or 12 hours. This is the story of those times when you've done everything you know to do, you've done it right, and you still can't take care of yourself. That's when God shows up. That's when you trust him. Right about that time I started the, my, my wife and me started the 10-10-80 plan. We lived in a small town. I was a youth pastor at a little church. We had two great needs in our life, groceries and a lawnmower. We, had, we didn't have either one. And you know, that stuff can be expensive. Let me tell you what God did. This is literal. It's burned in my brain. I'll never forget these two things. Every week it seemed like, I don't know how often, but every week it seemed like a, at least one bag of groceries was on the uh, front porch when we got home. I don't know who, to this day, maybe Leslie knows, to this day, I don't know who gave it. I don't know if it's just different random people. I don't know if it's the same person doing it over and over again. I just knew whatever was in that bag was going to be fried and that was dinner. That's all I knew. And, and, and here's the thing that is further burned into my brain. That little yard, it's actually kind of a big yard, a little house in a big yard that we had to mow, didn't have a lawnmower. I'll never forget this 70-something-year-old man, cancer survivor, who had just uh, lost 90% of his stomach to stomach cancer, drives up. We didn't tell anybody we needed a lawnmower. Drives up with his, with his truck, backs out his little snapper lawnmower and says, Brother Jerry, I'm 20. He's 75. I'm the brother. Brother Jerry, I'm here to mow your grass. I said, hey, I'll borrow that mower and get it back to you, but I can't let you mow my grass. And his, his eyes welled up like he was about to cry. And he said, he said, Brother Jerry, there's not much left I can do for the Lord, but I can do this. Please don't take away my blessing." He didn't think he did much. Let me tell you, 20-something years later, I still remember. It's still, he's gone on to be with Jesus. His lesson is still turning over in my spirit. And, and you know what? It doesn't always come like God doesn't always do this big thing. The truth of the matter is, I, pro- I certainly could have found somebody to loan me a lawnmower, and I had the strength to mow my own yard. Most of the groceries they gave us were vegetables. If you live in Alabama, you can get some free vegetables. You know, you know somebody. It's not like it was life and death for us, but what God will do if you walk with him in little ways as well as big ways he will let you know you are not alone i'm watching you i got my eyes on you you need a little something and the bible says if god sees every sparrow that falls out of the sky how much more will he take care of you i wonder if you could praise him if he's taken care of you so far just praise him right now if he's taken care of you i, I know it And that's why I want to give God praise for it because he's the one who makes it happen. Now, the disciples needed a miracle, so here's how it goes down. Immediately, Jesus spoke. They, They thought it was a ghost, the death angel, but he spoke and said, Be of good cheer, it is I, don't be afraid. And Peter answered. I love Peter. First one to say the dumb thing or the good thing. Any of y'all that way? Like, if you're the first one out, sometimes you get it right. He got it right this time. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And so Jesus said, Come. Commanded him. That word is powerful. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. <laughs> Jesus showed up. And, and Peter, 
He's doing the best he can with what he has. Peter, if you don't remember, was a uh, commercial fisherman. He knows how to manage that boat. He might have built that boat. He's got a strong hull in that boat. He's got several sailors in the boat who know what they're doing. I mean, he's got a lot of stuff going for him in that boat, but let me tell you what he doesn't have in that boat. Jesus. That's what it all boils down to, y'all. I don't care what you've surrounded yourself with. I don't care how many friends, what a career looks like, a big 401k, your insurance policies, all the stuff that you've surrounded yourself with. When you look up and you realize everybody thinks I'm amazing, looks like I've, I've accomplished all these things, and you realize, you know, there's one thing missing in my boat of life, and it's Jesus. You better get out of that boat, leave it all, because the presence of Jesus is bigger than everything else you can amass for yourself. And so to overcome the storms of your life, you need this. You need faith to move. To just get up and say, Jesus, I'm coming to where you are. Now, I read some, uh, some commentaries on what, what Peter was actually doing. And, and some of the commentators said that it was not so much a move of love because he loved Jesus so much, but it was a move of fear and desperation. I think it was probably faith and fear combined, you know. Uh, Jesus called his faith little faith. It was certainly imperfect faith. You don't have to have perfect faith. You just got to have enough faith to get moving. You don't have to have it all figured out. In fact, let me tell you, a lot of us have waited. Let me just boldly say, probably some of you right now, you love Jesus, you want to do something for God, but you've waited until you can figure out what's happening. And God is stubborn. He's more stubborn than you. He's older than you. When you're old and dead, he'll still be the same God, okay? He will wait and wait and wait. If you're waiting on him to make it clear and obvious before you take a step, it's never going to happen. So you just have to step out in faith Peter does. He's, he's in faith and fear combined. There are waves pushing him. But really, in your life, it all comes down to this. There are storms and there are waves, and they're, they're pushing you. It comes down to this. I've, I've, done, I've, I've done this ministry my whole adult life. People let the waves push them away from God or closer to God. Those are the only two places. Maybe something horrible has happened in your life. You're disappointed with God, and you just, you're just mad, and you won't, you won't be around church or God's people. Or, on the other hand, you realize, man, I need him now more than ever before, and you get right into the bosom of Abraham. Sometimes you make a mistake, you fail, you're embarrassed because it's sinful and it's, and it's embarrassing and it's shameful, and so you run and hide away from God's presence, or you come and bow before him, and you just worship him anyways, and you find that he loves you just the same. The question is, what is your storm doing to you? Because the enemy wants to use that storm to drive you away from God. God wants to use that storm to bring you closer. Jesus didn't give Peter permission to come. The scripture says he commanded him to come. And he commands you in the same way. In Matthew 11, come to me. Everybody that's weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Don't circle the block a little bit. Don't push yourself out. Know that you have to come to him. And your faith may not be perfect. But it's, it's faith that will get you there. Here's what it worked out for Peter. When Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out saying, Lord, save me. Did you notice? He didn't get like, Peter was not one of the um, great, the, like Paul was a great theologian. Peter was not. Peter was a sailor, man. Peter was an angry, cursing ill-tempered, lying sailor. We know that. You read the Gospels, you'll find that out. That's who Jesus picked. And three and a half years later, 
On the night that Jesus is taken away, Peter is still an angry, cursing, ill-tempered sailor. He has walked on the water. He has helped Jesus divide a, a, a boy's lunch to feed thousands. He's been a part of miraculous things. And still, when the chips are down, he fails. He lies when the little teenage girl says, weren't you with Jesus? He, he curses at her, loses his temper, and he lies and runs away. <laughs> if you're waiting on yourself to get all cleaned up and straightened out before you speak up for Jesus or do anything for God's kingdom, let me tell you, you're doing Christianity the wrong way. And I'm so sorry that maybe you went through the doors of churches that would stain glass and high steeples and perfect suits and preachers that didn't have one hair out of place and little families that looked like they were all perfect. It made you feel like you didn't belong. Let me tell you, I've met a lot of those perfect preachers. They're not as perfect as you thought they were. Okay, I'm certainly not. And Peter, who walked on water, was not after all he went through with Jesus. And beginning to sink, he didn't cry out with some big King James Version theological statement. He just said, come on, say it with me, y'all. Lord, save me. That prayer still works in 2021. Pray it with me. Lord, save me. Somebody right now, you feel like you're going under. You're going through hell on earth right now. You don't even have to wait until the little music starts playing. Say it with me one more time, church. Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him and said, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? They brought into the boat and the wind ceased and the rest of the people in the boat said, this must be the son of God. Clap your hands if you know he's the son of God. (laughs) He still is. So here's the last thing you need to get victory over the storm. You need selective amnesia. If you were to find Peter in heaven one day and say, Peter, I'm not real clear on the Bible. Were you that guy that walked on water? Or were you that guy who took his eyes off Jesus and nearly drowned? I'll tell you what Peter's going to say. He's going to say, I'm the dude that walked on water. He has selective amnesia. He said, you know what? I'm I'm, I'm forgetting what's behind Paul. Ask Paul, were you the guy that killed Christians? Were you a part of the first Christian killed when... when, when, um, when, when Silas was, uh, Stephen was killed, were, were you there? He, he's going to say, no, I'm the guy who forgot what was behind and strained ahead to what was before me. If you're going to walk in victory, you got to forget that stuff. Just, just, just leave it. Forget it and move on. See, th- if you fast forward about three years from that, this story, you'll find Peter having run away from the city of Jerusalem. He lied about Jesus and he goes back to fish. He says, I'm done with this. In fact, I love this story. John 21. This is so good. Sweet. Warms my heart every time I read it. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is after Jesus has been crucified. He's been resurrected. The disciples are afraid. They don't believe he's alive. They don't know what to do. They've run back to hide in Galilee. They're fishing again. Jesus shows up. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, which are James and John, other disciples. And Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they all got in the boat and they fished all night and caught nothing. That's how it is when Jesus is not in the boat, by the way. You just work and work and work and nothing good happens. And at dawn, Jesus, the crucified and resurrected Jesus, is standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was because it's dawn and it's dark. And he cried out, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. 
And then he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll catch some. Everybody knows if, if you can't catch fish on this side of the boat and your boat's like three feet wide, that all the fish are on the other side of the boat, right? So they did. <laughs> and they couldn't, hit all, they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple that Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. Do you know who that is? The disciple Jesus loved? John, that's right. Coincidentally, do you know who wrote that down? John. I love John. I, 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 I like to imagine that he was writing that down just before they killed him. And he's like, I'm going to tell him one more time. I'm Jesus' favorite. He, he wanted us to know that because Peter's about to do something amazing and John wanted to get his own little jab in that I'm still the one that Jesus loves. And I'm the one that told him that it's the Lord. So when, when Simon Peter heard that that was Jesus, he put on his tunic, his, his jacket, because he had taken it off, and he jumped in the water and he swam to the shore. The others stayed in the boat and pulled the fish in. And then they went to the shore because it was 100 yards away. I love that Peter is up there. He's like, you know what? I'm in a great boat. I've got a bunch of good friends. I've got the catch of a lifetime, which means a big pile of money. But you know what? I've been in a boat without Jesus before. I'd rather get in water over my head, swim 100 yards, and leave everything to be with Jesus. No part of Peter thought to himself, when I swim to that shore, Jesus is going to kick me to the curb because I'm the one who denied him. No, Peter had selective amnesia. And here's the beautiful, beautiful reality. He's not the only one. Jesus has selective amnesia too. He forgets. This all-knowing, all-powerful, all-capable God who can do anything chooses to not be able to remember your sins when it's covered under the blood of Jesus. He can't remember. That's a good place to end. Unfortunately, I want to tell you one more thing. I want you to go home with this, Isaiah 43. Listen to this promise to you because you're going to go through storms. There's going to be more rivers and, and, and hurricanes and and God says in Isaiah 43 and 1, but now, O Jacob, when he says Jacob, it, he, Jacob means all of us, the people of God. Listen to the Lord who created you, the one who formed you. Says, don't be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I've called you by my name and you are mine. When you, not if, when you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up and the flames will not consume you. For I'm the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior.